right, and welcome back to this week's rendition of the Bama Factor here with your host, Alex Taylor, and proud to have my co-host back, Cody Saxon, for his second week as co-host. Cody, how you doing? What's up, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. Can't complain, can't complain. Can't wait to get into this uh, this week's analysis of the last game as well as the uh, upcoming game this Saturday, so let's get into it. Uh, of course, um, you know, uh, so before we go, uh, any further, um, obviously the Crimson Tide take on, um, obviously Mississippi State this weekend, uh, but we have tragic news out of Starkville, uh, today. I believe Sam West Moreland is his name, offensive lineman, 18 years old, uh, tragically passed away today. Um, the cause is unknown. I haven't heard anything else, uh. He would have turned 19 on Friday. Uh, so definitely um, here on this podcast uh, from a Cody and I um, are is obviously our thoughts and prayers um, and that we are thinking of the um, family of the young man. Uh, we're thinking of the team as well. Um, obviously, that's hard to lose anybody, but especially somebody that young who had their whole career um in front of them. So uh, we definitely um, want to let the family know that we are thinking about them, that we are definitely praying for them uh, as they go throughout this tough time as well. So uh, yeah, just pretty much hopping right into this week. Um, Obviously Cody, a little bit of a tough one, Uh, you know, haven't lost Tennessee in 15 years. So we kind of forgot what it feels like to uh, lose to Tennessee. So um, I mean, I'm not going to say that it was easy, but, uh, you know, it's halfway through the week, you know, and, you know, we're looking forward. So we're going to talk about a little bit how we're going to kind of what we saw. And um, honestly, you know, just try to see how the team is going to respond to this. So um, not really a lot to cover over the, ten- the uh, Tennessee game. Uh, we know that y'all have been kind of seeing things all week floating through the social media platforms um, all over TV as well. Uh, but uh, two guys that I just really want to talk about from this past Saturday's game uh, who just had the heart of a champion and the will to win, uh, Bryce Young, especially coming um, off of an injury, um, not playing the week prior uh, against Texas A&M. I mean, 35 of 52, 455 yards, two touchdowns, um, had a lot of incredible throws, uh, scrambled out of the pocket, made some just tight window throws uh, that just – almost seem impossible to anyone else. Um, and then the other one, obviously, our tailback, Jameer Gibbs, yet again having a great game despite losing uh, 24 carries, 103 yards, three touchdowns, also added some receiving yards as well. Uh, I think he finished with 152 all-purpose yards as well. And these guys are just winners. They have something in them that you can't coach. Uh, they have the intangibles. Uh, and these are going to be two guys on the offense for sure that are going to carry us forward. And, Cody, I'd like to hear your thoughts on those two from this past uh, Saturday. Yeah, man, I think uh, consistency is what we've been seeing out of them these last few weeks. Definitely Gibbs, uh, you know, every time he gets just about over you – know, at least over 100 yards. So, <clears throat> having said all that, man, I think that uh, – keep like you, you, you've been saying and I've been saying both, like keep feeding him the ball. And I think Bryce Young's really – Having him back was, uh, I mean, 49 points is nothing to shrug your shoulders at. I think him being, you know, responsible for two of the touchdowns, Jameer Gibbs for three of them, man. 
you can argue with the fact that they're performing at a higher level, and they are the two guys on our team, I think, at least on offense, to look at as the guys to carry this team, hopefully uh, through the rest of the season unbeaten and hopefully into you know into a successful postseason. So we'll, we'll see. Very much so. Um, I mean, yeah, I've definitely got to agree with that on that. So obviously, you know, the Crimson Tide, obviously losing to Tennessee 52 to um, – 49 uh, this past weekend on this. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into our second segment. And uh, really, you know, the offense really did enough to win, uh, but it was the other side of the ball uh, that uh, was giving up the points, giving up the yards, uh, weren't adjusting. Um, you know, they got they got pretty much, you know, manhandled uh, by Jawan Hyatt. Um and Hendon Hooker was, you know, taking advantage of having a safety kind of uh, squatting in a position of where, you know, Hyatt could get, you know, 10 yards off of the line without getting touched. Um, but outside of that, uh, the defense's response this week, and uh, a little stat I want to bring up since we are playing uh, Mississippi State this weekend, uh, a little stat I'd like to bring up. The last, uh, and this will be the third time, but the last two times that Alabama has lost a regular season game, the team they have played after that loss is Mississippi State. The first one came three years ago, 2019, after the Tide lost to LSU 46-41 to in Tuscaloosa. Uh, the Crimson Tide went to Starkville and got the win 38-7. to And last year was the second time after the loss to Texas A&M 41 to 38 in College Station. The Tide went to Starkville again and also won 49 to 9 as well. So coming up on the third time in the Saban era where Mississippi State has been, I guess you could say, the recipient of a ticked-off Alabama team that is coming off of a loss. So, Cody, kind of what's your thoughts on that? Kind of just that that's kind of a weird streak that's kind of – um, that's kind of already going and it's going to continue already. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I definitely, you know me, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm superstitious, but man, if, if something is consistent and there's a pattern throughout history, man, I definitely put some stock in it just out of, it's a more of a mental thing than anything, but I'd say going into this, there's definitely that, you know, Alabama always bounces back from adversity in a way that's like they're, they're hyper-focused. They're much more careful. They're less careless. Just everything all around their performance is better. I look forward to seeing that. I expect to see that. Um, but having said that, at the same time, I know I know Coach Saban and how he coaches his guys, and I definitely think that he uh, he's he's not going to don't get distracted by the stuff that's not controllable. Don't get distracted by you know the idea. Get get focused in the actual execution of the game, and everybody do their part as an individual and as a team. And I know that's what he's going to be stressing this week, and I know it's going to carry over to this Saturday. And I'm I'm hoping that uh, that streak, albeit uh, as minor as it may be in the grand scheme of things, hopefully that'll stay intact. And I think uh, Mississippi State, uh, you know, will we'll perform well and we'll be able to succeed this weekend. Oh, for sure. Um, just all that was a pretty cool trend there. But obviously, so now let's really get into, you know, the changes on the other side of the ball. So, Earlier this week, now this is just speculation, this is rumors, this is kind of what I've heard, but Jalen Moody, inside linebacker for Alabama in his sixth season at Alabama, apparently stormed into Pete Golding's office and um, 
safe to say he said a couple expletives uh, of the article that I read, but he was basically saying this team needs some expletives, and 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 uh, he says I'm one of them, and uh, I think Jalen Moody was expressing his frustration of after getting cleared to play at Tennessee last week, we did not see him at all last week, and I think he was expressing his frustration of that, but I think, um, honestly, Jalen Moody, in my opinion, inside linebacker-wise, has been the most consistent this year. I mean, he's got the most tackles. Uh, he's got good gap play. He hits you. You go down. Uh, um, he's very consistent. Uh, he doesn't really take a play off. He hasn't really had, like, a bad play. I mean, we saw him against Texas. We saw him against Arkansas make some really tremendous plays. So, yeah, why he didn't get in after he was fully cleared by the um, training staff, uh, I have no idea why he didn't play. But you should definitely see him this week, I'm thinking. But the fact that he stormed into the defensive coordinator's office and pretty much went on a profanity-rated tirade and say, you know, this team needs, you know, some guys who got that that fight in them, who got that killer in them, who's got the killer instinct in them. You know, that Michael Myers instinct in them, almost. Uh, and um, the fact that he said, I'm him. And, I, I mean, Jalen Moody literally went into the office and said, I'm him. Like, I am him. And, honestly, I got so much respect for that guy now uh, because it takes a lot to do that and not a lot of guys would, but that's what this team needs right now. The team needs simply a guy who is going to be that vocal leader who's going to be a Reuben Foster, a Hightower, a Reggie Ragland, somebody like that. And I kind of want to see what you think about that. Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, I think that – I think, not. you know, you never wanted to split the team up and divide the team, but I think it just on defense, I know the names Toa Toa and Will Anderson have been sticking out to everybody, and that's, those have been the names capturing the headlines, especially in local news or Alabama coverage. And I think that – I think Moody has a uh, – I think he's earned his spot, and I think he's earned somewhat of a voice, obviously not getting out of line with coaching, but at the same time, like saying, look, I'm showing up. I'm doing everything this team needs to for me to, you know, optimize the defensive performance. Let me do it. Let us do it. And I think that's something that needed, I mean, needed to be said. And, you know, I think the fact that he's got the courage enough to speak up just goes to show he does have leadership quality on top of his skill on the field. Exactly. I mean, um, you know, you definitely want to see guys like that, you know, who have that, you know, fight in them, who have that, you know, we got to change attitude, and, and, you know, that's what Ruben Foster had. You know, you go back to 2015 when Foster and Reggie Ragland were the two inside guys on that side of the ball, and we lost to Ole Miss the third game of the season. You know, those two called a players-only meeting and said, you know, we got to step up. You know, we can't lose any more this season. Well, sure enough, Alabama went on to win the title that year. So, you know, having guys like that, I mean, that's what we need again. You know, we got to start playing that ball again, you know, we got to intimidate the other team. We don't have to be intimidated by the team. Um, but uh, – and then the second thing I kind of really want to address on is the changes in the secondary because we saw Helms get exposed. We saw Branch get exposed at times. Uh, we saw – we kind of saw Malachi Moore get exposed at times. Not really Jordan Battle uh, and, um, you know, Terion Arnold. You know, Terion gave up one throw, but other than that, I think he played pretty well. Um but outside of that, Helms and, and uh, Branch kind of got exposed a bit. And it's just because I think – not because they're not good athletes. I think it's because they're out of position. I think it was the schematics of it. But 
do you see any changes coming in the secondary in the upcoming weeks, especially as the Tide enter to fight for the SEC West title now, obviously playing um, who they are this weekend, then going on the road to LSU and on the road to Ole, to, um, Ole Miss and obviously having to come back home for the Iron Bowl against Auburn? You know, I, I can't say for certain if we're going to see it. I think that, like you said, kind of looking back a little bit, there was definitely some uh, – yeah, I think it was the schematics more than the skill. I think, you know, you pointed it out as the game was happening, you know, how, you know, playing up on your player could help, you know, in certain times. And I think there were certain adjustments that could have been made, could have been, could have been made in our secondary by coaching that would have changed the outcome of that game tremendously. I mean, it's on, it's crazy to see back to back 20 plus yard, you know, passes or drives that had multiple, you know, 10, 15 plus yard passes within the same drive without adjustments being made when it was the same part of the field, the same, the same, pretty much the same, the same three, five, three to five plays we saw the whole game working cons- as consistently as it was for them. And I just don't think that's, I think that's a, like you said, a schematics. So I think that's a coaching thing. And I think that aspect of it is definitely getting fixed moving forward. I don't think Saban's going to let that go unfixed, but as far as like the actual secondary changes, moving people around, you know, taking people out, I don't know uh, moving forward, but, I trust that now seeing from the mistakes that they made moving forward, coaching is going to make the right decisions for that to, to be fixed. That's right. Um, and, you know, ultimately that's what it comes to as well. So obviously wrapping up this segment, uh, I'm going to toss it to my counterpart uh, as Cody's going to touch a little bit on the penalties from this past game. And just a little disclaimer as we go into the segment, um, we know that everybody's heard all week that, you know, Alabama fans are blaming this on officiating and, you know, they're blaming it on, you know, all the flags that were thrown. But without letting our personal opinions really get into the meat of this segment here, Cody and I have actually done some research. We talked about it prior to the podcast. And we've kind of gone in to see it from an outsider's point of view, not really a fan's point of view. Just if you weren't a fan of either team and you were watching the game, that's what we tried to kind of go off of, um, you know, choosing to talk about this. And when you see it, it's really stuff that should have been called at the end of the day. Uh, And then I have one thing to touch on about this officiating crew as well that has come to light on this. So saying that, I'm going to turn this over to Cody. Appreciate it, buddy. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to leave with this. Um, I think Saban, you know how Saban never Saban never casts a hundred percent blame on anybody. He always takes responsibility for the team's mistakes, even in the you know even in victory, he always talks about what we could do better. So, I'm going to lead with uh, two quotes uh, that you know provided by SportsIllustrated.com. I, I'm just going to quote him. Um, these are two quotes directly from Nick Saban, and then I'll get into the to get into the segment a little bit. But he said, "Look, my big thing is just consistency. Just call it the same for everybody." And it's hard to define exactly what you can do and can't do. I would rather see that happen. In the NFL, they defined exactly what you can and can't do, and it's a really, really difficult judgment call. But you knew exactly what you could and couldn't do. I think that would be beneficial. And then in a separate quote, he said, this is something that from the bottom up, I mean, I'm talking about coaches. I'm talking about every player. I'm talking about me. We've all got to do a better job to help these guys learn from their mistakes, improve, and get better. This is the this is not the way you want to manage through a season by games coming down to the last play. So that first, the first quote he talks, touches on the uh, the penalties and the officiating. Um, I think that's a big thing. It's not about bad calls or good calls. It's about 
equal calls. We want to have the game called equally on both sides, and I don't care if you're an Auburn fan, Alabama, Tennessee fan. That just didn't happen. Now, I'm not saying it's an excuse. There's no excuse. No amount of penalties not called or called excuses giving up 52 points to Tennessee's offense. No amount of penalties excuses that. But the fact that Saban was able to point out the the imbalance and that he's just asking for consistency, I think that's all we anybody can ask for. So there's that, as well as him talking about taking responsibility, saying it's from it's from him all the way down to the third string. It is all across the coaching board. It is every single player on that field, on the bench. Everybody has a role and everybody can improve. And uh, to avoid having to play, like you said, it's not the way you want to manage through a season by games coming down to the last play. And we saw that being a last play kind of a win for Tennessee. So, But having said those two things, I just wanted to point out what Nick, you know, Nick Saban said. Uh, and moving into me and a- Alex a little bit here, like the th- number one thing I saw, and I went back and watched some replays, I saw it several times over the course of several different drives, um, as far as penalties not being called, Tennessee was very effectively executing a hurry-up offense on Alabama, not letting us be able to sub out players. And I think that was efficient. But the only issue I had with it penalty-wise was there were certain times when they were snapping the ball, uh, the play was beginning, and not all of the players were set. Um, I saw several potential illegal formations, false starts. There was just a lot of stuff that could have been called. It wasn't. But like I said, um, it was, it was here and there. It was enough to impact the game, but in the end, 52 points is 52 points, and we did lose the game, and there's no excuse in that. Um, I think another thing, another big thing, um, this, is, this is just a, this is, this is personal for me. And I think this is something that we've seen over the last few years, uh, going back to when uh, Lane Kiffin was there. Hey, going back till old Fat Phil was there. Um, Tennessee players, and I'm sure it's under the direction of coaching, uh, when 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 Alabama gets momentum, they they fall down, they go down, they 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 fake an injury. And I'm not going to say every one of them's fake, but I'm saying if uh, if you're on the same drive and six different players have a cramp and they come back in the next play, it's a little fishy to me. Uh, somebody needs to eat a banana, take a sip of pickle juice, drink a Gatorade because there ain't nobody cramping that much. Or uh, when the same guy gets hurt five times in the same game like it happened last Saturday. Exactly. Like you, oh, you pulled that hammy, then you pulled that hammy. Now this hammy's hurting. Like, tell me something. You're fine. You're playing the game. So I think that's an issue that I didn't see uh, or I did see, and I think it's something that's been consistently. And this come, that comes down to a ethical coaching issue, and it's weird that it's carried over through so many coaching staffs. I just don't see how you allow that to happen. Now, now that I'm done with that rant about that, there were definitely penalties. I know there's about, everybody's been talking about the pass interference. Everybody's been talking about the face mask that didn't get called. I think these things are uh, – I'm not going to say they're negligible. They're definitely things that would have impacted the game, that would have changed the entire outcome of the game. I know people are talking about the 12 men on the field that didn't get called for Tennessee right there in the end zone. There's so many things that were missed. But like, like we both said, having said all of that, it's, it, would be, it would be irresponsible and it would be uh, – uh, a disservice to the Alabama players who played so well to not talk about these things. But at the same time, we can't alleviate the responsibility from the team. And Saban said it best himself. You know, it's every player, everybody from the top down uh, moving forward. But, yeah, I'm going to let you touch. I'm going to let you touch on uh, some of that stuff you heard about today as far as the investigation goes, uh, the SEC. So I'm going to toss it back to you and let you kind of touch on that a little bit. Yes, thank you, Cody, for great insight. Um, Yeah, obviously we had talked about it uh, prior to the podcast and a, 
you had had a lot of great insight on that. And just kind of to touch on that pass interference call and just something that irks me, it, it's, it's not the fact – if you're going to call something, call it. And, but my thing is you have several different officials who are covering zones and watching certain players and certain position groups on the field. Like your umpire is watching for holding calls on the line. You know, your side judges are watching for pass interference calls and holding calls on the outside. Your white hat's looking for late hits on the quarterback. You know, your back judges are looking for holding on the running backs or blocks slower than the waist. I mean, anything like that. So the side judges on this one, the guy who was standing right beside Malachi Moore and the Tennessee tight end on who Moore made the play on to tip the ball up in the air and it was intercepted by Kool-Aid, that official was standing right there on the sideline and did not throw a flag. But yet Kool-Aid gets to almost the 50-yard line with the return. And the side judge from the other side of the field throws the flag in the end zone. And they originally called a blindside block. And guess what? I agree with that call because I think it was either Dallas Turner or Henry Toa Toa that had blindside block on the return. Fine. I can accept that. It still would have been Alabama's football. But the fact that they changed the penalty – they said there is no foul for blindside block. However, there is pass interference. You can't do that. That's not legal. That's not ethical. And I'm not getting into my personal opinion. That's, that's a rule. If you're going to throw it, throw it when it happens. You can't just decide 50 yards down the field, oh, yeah, it was pass interference, especially from the guy who's on the other side of the play who can't have to see what's going on. So that's my 10 cents on that. But getting into what the SEC is going to release – Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, and um, the head of the SEC officials as well, is preparing to release a statement within the next two days, either Thursday or Friday, possibly Saturday, on this officiating crew as they review every game, uh, every officiating crew uh, from every SEC game each year. Uh, And obviously Saban submitted a couple things. Um, Outside of the pass interference call, I think we saw the – Biggest no call of the day was the no targeting call against the Tennessee defensive lineman. Uh, it met all of the um, criteria for targeting. He launched himself. He led with his helmet. He hit Bryce in the helmet face to face. It was after the throw, so if anything, it was roughing the passer. Um, but it was targeting. And you know, you say one thing in the NFL is targeting. You say another thing is targeting in college, and then you teach guys how to wrap up and tackle the right way and then when they do you call them for targeting but then when they lower their head you're like uh well it's 50 50 now get consistent on this that's the only thing i can say about officials and i know officials are human i know that they're going to screw up but at least be consistent on what you do so that's my thing but go ahead yeah i think that's what nick saban uh, i mean that it he was like it's it's like there's kind of we need to really clear up what officials are able to do when it comes to i mean if it's clear as day what it is, let it be what it is. So, um, but yeah, exactly. I, I and think summed it up. But yeah, but then getting back into what it's in, um, this officiating crew, for those of y'all who don't know, uh, has been investigated before. This is the same officiating crew uh, that this podcast has learned had, did the Alabama-Texas A&M game a year ago where Alabama had 14 penalties and had some very questionable calls in that game. Um but also, this is the crew that performed the Auburn-Arkansas game in 2020 
if those of you remember, towards the end of the game, Arkansas was up 28-27. Auburn is driving. And Bo Nix attempts to spike the ball, and he fumbles the snap. So when you fumble a snap, the ball is live. Even if you pick it up, it's live. It's not you can't pass it. You can't do anything. If you fumble the snap, especially on something like that, it's live. Well, then he clocks the ball down backwards. That is a fumble. Arkansas hops on it and recovers it. It is their football by rule of what a fumble is. The officiating crew goes and reviews it, gives Auburn the football back, says it was an incomplete pass. Auburn kicks the game-winning field goal. Screws Arkansas out of it. Not to mention that officiating crew was suspended because of that. And they were also suspended about three years prior for another incident similar to that, giving uh, Florida, I think, an extra down against LSU in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. It may have been something like that. I'm not really sure on the whole details there. But they did something that changed the outcome of the game there as well. So, And they were suspended for that as well. So this officiating crew that performed last Saturday's game has been suspended twice in the last five years, um, had some very questionable calls, um, and honestly, if we do have a choice, if teams do have a choice, I pray Alabama never gets stuck with this officiating crew again because some of them were so blatantly obvious that you just could not piss them whatsoever. And Cody and I talked about this, and the last thing we will say on this segment about this one, how do you not know how to count one, two, three, four downs? <laughs> You'd think. <laughs> this, I mean, it's, it's you simple. Literally, even, even, and I look. As much as Gary gets on my nerves, I'm pretty sure it was him that said that you literally have one job. Like, <laughs> I mean, you do. I mean, even the down guy wasn't changing it. He was like, it still said three, and it's just standing there. I'm like, it's first down this way. I'm like, dude, it's, it's, it's not hard. But other than that, um, we're going to move on to our next thing. I'm going to touch on recruiting a little bit. Uh, not much has changed. Uh, all the Alabama commits uh, that are still committed, uh, for this year, um, kind of harped in on the Alabama loss, and they said they're still rolling with the tide. Uh, hasn't really changed anything um, from their standpoint. Uh, we do have a couple of big key commit or uh, key targets coming up with their commitments. Uh, Cormani McLean uh, is coming up October the 27th, the number one corner in the country. Uh, there's several more coming up as well that are uh, choosing between Alabama. Of course, Cormani is down to between Alabama, Florida, and Miami. It kind of looks like Florida's kind of taking the driver's seat, uh, but, you know, always uh, things could change as well. But Alabama's still sitting on the top class for 2023, looking to add more uh, as well. So now I'm going to hop into a quick segment before we get into our preview for this weekend's game. Um, these are really 10 players that I want to see play more going forward through the rest of the season. Uh, we're at the halfway point officially. Um, and these are just 10 players that I kind of um, – I've addressed and that I've kind of – I've seen them play or I've seen them play in spring or I've heard good things about them, and I just think they could bring some good things to the team right now. So my first one is um, tailback Jamarian Miller. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, he got in uh, a lot earlier in the season. Uh, Utah State, uh, Louisiana Monroe – uh, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, he kind of had, you know, a coming out party. I think he ran for over 93 yards, two touchdowns. Um, but I think getting him experience is good too. you know, compliment. I think he could compliment, uh, Gibbs and Jace very well. I think he could get into the rotation a lot. So I think you need to run him uh, a little bit more and getting him that experience. Cause I think he's going to be the next great Alabama tailback because just for the way that he runs and how strong that he is, um, kind of reminds me of a, uh, 
kind of a TJ Yeldon almost, just with the way he's able to cut real quick and he doesn't go and uh, he's really hard to bring down. Like he's really hard to tackle. Uh, so my second one uh, is wide receiver Christian Leary. Christian Leary has been viewed as one of the fastest guys on the team. And why we're not using him, I do not know, because after the A-Day game he had, a five catches, 105 yards, and two touchdowns, I will never understand why we didn't use him. So I definitely think you need to see him going forward if you want to stretch the field more, uh, especially on those quick little slant patterns. He catches one over the middle. I think he's gone. I don't think you can catch him. Um, so I definitely think you need to see him more. Uh, the third one is uh, Earl Little Jr. He's a cornerback. He was the top cornerback um, in America in last year's recruiting cycle. Um I definitely think with the problems they're having on that side of the ball, especially in the secondary and the corner unit, um, maybe some inconsistency. Maybe, I mean, just give him some experience. I mean, it wouldn't hurt. You know, Patrick Sertan started when he was a freshman, and, you know, we saw what he turned into, which, by the way, he has only allowed 145 yards on over 36 targets this year. Uh, guarding so lockdown, Patrick Sertan, one of the best in the league um, for sure, and quickly rising as well. But so use Earl Little Jr. that way. I think he resembles Pat Sertan in a lot of ways, and I think, you know, they could use him that way. The fourth one is probably um, one of the most talked about ones for sure this week, too, and that's Eli Ricks, another corner. Uh, transfer from LSU. Um, people thought he would come in, start immediately, but uh, obviously kind of hurt a little bit. Um, and uh, some people were wondering that he really couldn't learn the whole schematic side of it. But uh, it looks like the majority of it has been injury. But uh saw something on his story this week. He says that uh, he's almost back. And uh, it had a clip of him in practice on Monday snagging two one-handed interceptions um, in practice on Monday. So it looks like he's getting close to 100%. Number five is also in the secondary as well. He's a safety Christian story. Um, he was Mr. Football in Alabama from Lynette High School. Uh, his senior year he played quarterback a little bit of wide receiver and also played safety and return kicks and punts incredible athletes got a lot of range um and I think you know I mean just put them in at a star position I mean rotate them in you know let's see these guys rotate let's get them some good experience uh number six true freshman wide receiver Aaron Anderson obviously somebody that the uh, Crimson Tide faithful have been wanting to see um especially me um and uh you know super fast um out of Louisiana, originally committed to LSU. Uh, but obviously with the Tide now, uh, he's kind of been hurt throughout the season. But getting more reps this week, kind of seeing him uh, get more involved this week. So hopefully um, he's going to be a big part moving forward in the receiving core as well to help out other true freshmen, uh, Kobe Prentice and Isaiah Bond as well. Jamarian Latham, uh, defensive lineman. Uh, I think he's a redshirt junior, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh you know, we've seen him this year kind of step up, you know, when um, obviously Justin Aborgby has been out uh, with an injury for two weeks now. Um, and, you know, Byron Young, when he goes out, you know, from time to time, Jamarian's really stepped up. You know, he's got a lot of um, – he's got a very quick um, – kind of a very quick hit. You know, he's got a quick striking motion. And uh, I think he's able to get past a lot of offensive line. I think he's able to play well. Uh, he's very quick at getting to the quarterback, so that's definitely something you can see going forward. Uh, the number nine one, uh, Jeremiah Alexander, uh, true freshman outside linebacker, the number one edge rusher in the class from Thompson High School um, this past recruiting cycle. Um, Jeremiah Alexander, uh, gifted athlete. I mean, huge, over 250 pounds, six foot four. Um, 
just give him some time too. I mean, you know, with Anderson and Turner and Braswell kind of playing, you know, he kind of goes overlooked. But, you know, get him into the rotation. Get him some game experience, especially, you know, this weekend, LSU, Ole Miss, Auburn. I mean, get these guys some experience to, you know, for next year and the seasons to come so they have this experience, so they have it under their belt. Uh, but definitely a gifted athlete. And then uh, tight end Amari Nyblack. Um, Amari has impressed me, uh, and I think when he started throwing to him more, because obviously we saw Cameron Latu catch over nine catches this past uh, Saturday, uh, I believe for close to 100 yards and a touchdown. So Amari Nyblack is a tight end and a wide receiver's like body. I mean, he's 6'4", he's, like, he's got to be upwards of 215, and he runs like a wide receiver, and we've seen him, uh, some this year, especially against um, Louisiana Monroe, where he caught his first career touchdown pass. Uh, very, very, very um, gifted athlete. Uh, so would definitely like to see him more going forward as well to use him in the passing game. And the last guy I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to bring Cody in on this as well. Um, we've said it on the podcast the past couple weeks, but this week it is looking like it is gaining so much traction. And that is wide receiver Tyler Harold, the transfer speedster from Louisville that everybody's been psyched about seeing this week. Uh, and overall, uh, um, you know, this guy is a game changer. He flips the field. Uh, he is a vertical threat. He's a home run hitter. He's quick over the middle. He's an efficient route runner. And from what I've heard from Saban this week and from the footage that I have seen personally, he has been worked into the offense a lot more. He's been getting first-team reps. He's been getting more reps than he's gotten all season. It looks like he's healed from his injury. So I don't think he'll start Saturday, but I do think you will finally see Tyler Harrell in the game as a member of the Crimson Tide. And I think when you see him, it's going to be pretty spectacular, and I want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, dude. Uh, I think I think adding him, uh, bringing him in, would just add to the dynamic, you know, versatile aspects of our offense. Um, if it, I mean, I've, I haven't seen, I don't think I've, I haven't seen a lot of footage, uh, not as much as you at least, but the little bit that I have seen and heard as far as, uh, people, you know, with the team, he's, he's putting in the work and uh, that's all we can ask. And I, and I hope to see him added to that offense. And like I said, just add another, another weapon and another threat. Always. And, you know, I'm going to be excited to see him. So now as uh, we get into our final segment, we are going to preview this weekend's game. So Alabama, Mississippi State, uh, Alabama comes in riding a 14-year win streak, their last loss, uh, 2007, Saban's first year um, to um, Mississippi State. I believe they lost 16-13 to in Starkville uh, that year. Uh, but since then, the Crimson Tide have dominated uh, State. Uh, in the sen- in every sense of the word. Um, so I think definitely one of the keys to the game is like, I mean, obviously, you know, Harold getting those impactful reps finally of what we just talked about. But again, I think if the last three weeks have shown anything, you got to feed, keep feeding J- Jameer Gibbs the football. Yeah, man, I agree. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I've never been sold. I have not been sold on a Alabama running back this quick since uh, you know who my favorite is, Trent Richardson. Man was an animal to watch, you know. I haven't been been this high on a running back since, I mean, this early on. 
since since then. I'm not even gonna lie to you. He is he is a dog, man. He is out there every single week performing consistently. And dude, his acceleration is unseen, dude. He when he finds the hole, he freaking darts, dude. He is going 90 miles an hour. And it is it's incredible to watch, man. It's so impressive. And I think that the best and fastest route to success is to continue feeding him the ball. That's definitely true. Like, and what you said about his acceleration, you know, that gets me too. Cause like when you look at some of the replays from like the angle of the camera angle, that's actually following him. And that's actually to the backside of him. These guys have angles and Gibbs is like jogging and then boom, he just flips the switch and he's past them. Like that just, it, that's something you can't coach. That's just God-given talent, God-given speed. So definitely keep feeding Gibbs. Um, another interesting stat is that Alabama has outscored State 92-9 the last two years um, they have played. They are the only team uh, to shut out State from uh, scoring any touchdowns um, the last two years as well. Uh, something that you don't really see very often in a Mike Leach coached uh, team. So definitely hats off to Alabama for uh, holding their ground on that. Um, so I also think you see this week the Bama defense is going to respond because last year after they gave up so many yards at Texas A&M, gave up 41 points, lost on the road. Look at the similarities of last year and this year. Alabama gets to kind of the halfway point of the season – loses in October on the road to a team that starts with a T on a last-second field goal. Fans rush the field. You lose by three. You play Mississippi State the next week, and your defense responds by almost pitching a shutout. Uh, Three interceptions total, um, two from Jordan Battle, a pick six from Jordan Battle as well. Uh, And, you know, the tide rolls in Starkville uh, a year ago, and – you know, this year on the road, lose on a last-second field goal, 52-49, to a team that starts with a T, fans rush the field, and lo and behold, you get to play Mississippi State the next week. So I think the defense personally responds this week because hell hath no fury than a disappointed Nick Saban and a pissed-off Alabama football team. Facts. I mean, ultimately, I think the defense responds in a huge way this weekend. I definitely think, um, you know, if the schematics are right, you know, that's the big thing about it is, you know, the schematics have got to be right. But, you know, Will Anderson, this is when he had his coming out party last year and kind of really started taking uh, the league by storm. You know, four sacks for just Will Anderson last year in this game. Uh, Just incredible. I mean, they couldn't block him. Left tackle, right tackle, right guard, left guard, center. Nobody could block him on that. In total, the Alabama team had 10 sacks that game last year. So definitely going to be something to watch this Saturday, uh, too. And that's going to be key, I think, as well. So before we get into our score predictions, uh, I'm going to get cozy again. How do you think Alabama stacks up the rest of the year against the competition they got left with? Obviously, uh, State, who they got this Saturday. Then they got a week off, which is coming at a great time. Uh, and then you've got uh, at LSU, at Ole Miss, Austin P, and then Auburn. How do you think they stack up to the rest of the year? And do you think they get to Atlanta by winning the SEC West? 
you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get too far ahead of myself. I can say that uh, I, <clears throat> one thing we touched on, um, me and you during the, well, right at the end of the the Tennessee game Saturday was the two, the differences between Tennessee and Alabama this past weekend is Alabama. Well, I'm talking Tennessee, Tennessee showed everybody just about. And, well, I can't assume. They showed us about 90% of their arsenal as to what they can bring to the table. And I think, on the other hand, Alabama showed that that's exactly what it takes to beat Alabama. 52 points is what it took. And that's with penalties. That is with non-called penalties. That was with terrible officiating. That was with poor defensive coaching. Imagine Alabama at 100%. What could be done to stop them? 50 points, 52 points would have never been on the board. And even if it had been, I don't know if it would have been enough to end it. So saying that moving forward, if Alabama makes those adjustments and if Alabama truly does fix those those mistakes, I think moving forward, I think Mississippi State, I think Alabama's got a great chance of winning. Um, the overall skill on the team as well as just from the top down, I think Alabama has a, a leg up in this game. And I think the bye week couldn't come at a better time. I think Ole Miss is the last is the only team between now and the end of our schedule uh, that's going to give us any trouble. And I do think that with that bye week, I think we'll have plenty of time for preparation. Having said that, we'll roll through uh, onto the the Iron Bowl, and God knows what Auburn looks like this year. So we'll just leave it at that. Um, yeah, dude, I think we got a huge shot of making it all the way, all the way, all the way to the championship, man. And and for the love this year, we better win it. <laughs> That's right. Um, and, yeah, I definitely think that we stack up well because, you know, uh, a little stat I want to run by uh, as we get into the score predictions. Um, if anybody's looking for some positive news after all the horrible stuff we heard this weekend, um, this is Bama's regular season record after they had a regular season loss under Saban. 2011, after we lost to LSU, we went 3-0 and the rest of the regular season won the national championship. 2012, after we lost our 10th game of the season to Texas A&M, we went 2-0 the rest of the regular season, won the national championship. 2014, after we lost to Ole Miss, we went 7-0 the rest of the regular season. We got to the college football playoff. 2015, after we lost the third game of the season to Ole Miss, we went 9-0 the rest of the regular season, won the national championship. 2019, the only year we did not make the college football playoff since its inception. We went two and one after we lost to LSU. Obviously we lost to Auburn the last game of the season, but then 2021 last year, lost to Texas A&M the sixth game of the season, finished the regular season six and zero, made the national championship game. So overall record in those years, 11, 12, 14, 15, 19, and 21, 29 and one coming off of a loss. So, Safe to say Bama coming off of a loss does respond, and I think you'll see that continue. So now getting into score predictions, Alabama, Mississippi State, Chris Fowler, Kurt Herbstreit on the call, ESPN primetime, 6 o'clock in Tuscaloosa this weekend. Very excited to be back there, by the way. Cody Saxon is also going to be there this weekend. We are both going to be there, so if y'all catch us down there and you recognize us, hit us up. Get our attention, something. We'll be glad to speak, talk, do whatever. So, But we will be there in person uh, this weekend. So, Mr. Saxon, your score prediction for this Saturday night. 
So I'm going to go ahead and say that in, in, in weeks previous, I have vastly underestimated Alabama's ability to put points on the board, and I have lowballed them, um, especially last week. Uh, but this week, I am going to say um, that Alabama feeding Gibbs, I'm going to say Gibbs gets three touchdowns, man. Uh, I'm, I, think that, I think it's going to be a good one. I'm going to say I'm, – I'm going to just throw out some stat predictions too before I leave with that score. I think uh, I think Bryce completes at least 60% of his passes, 200-plus uh, yards passing. I'm going to say total team at least 200-plus yards rushing. Um, like I said, majority – I'm going to say 150 of those come from Gibbs. Man, I think we have a good week. I think we have a dominant offensive week. I think the score is going to be 49, and I'll give – I'll give Mississippi State a little bit. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 49 to 17, and that's generous on their end. I really do think we run this offensive table, and I think it. Uh, I think that ends up being the final score. Great score prediction. Um, yeah, I definitely think the offense comes out striking this week. Um, and Bryce was at 90 percent last week, and he did that 455 yards. So imagine what the dude is 10 more percent at 100 percent. Like, I mean, come on, like. I mean, absolute incredible player, and we need to appreciate Bryce Young while we have him because um, slowly, hot take, we'll talk about it another day. Bryce Young is becoming one of the best quarterbacks Alabama has ever had. Don't at me. So, um, but my score prediction, uh, I t- total agreement with you that, uh, you know, we come out hot on offense. I think the defense has something to prove. I think they're – prepared to do it. I think they bounce back. The atmosphere is good. The fans had a wake-up call, too. The team had a wake-up call. Saban's gotten through to him. I think you see some new faces on each side of the ball. I think Tyler Harrell emerges. I think Gibbs continues to make a campaign for a late Heisman run as well, and a Doak Walker award run as well. And I think uh, you see some guys have a good day. I see a couple turnovers created. Because uh, keep in mind, Saban stressed about the defense creating turnovers. Last week we created four but had two taken away from us. So uh, great, great job on that side of the ball forcing them but had two taken away from us. So I'm going to go with pretty similar to yours. I'm going to go Alabama 45 Mississippi State 13, and I will stick with that one, 45-13, and uh, I think Alabama gets the win, heads into the bye week um, to prepare for LSU. So, going to wrap up this podcast with some final thoughts, um, and the final thoughts that I have, uh, Mr. Saxon, let's both give our first half season MVP on offense and on defense as well, um, and uh You'll say offense, I'll say offense, and then, you know, you say yours on the other side of the ball, and then I'll say mine as well. Yeah, I mean, I think we've both been pretty high on Gibbs. I'm going to go ahead and say uh, offensively, man, he's just been a menace. Obviously, Bryce has been playing phenomenal, you know, outside of the one, one and a half weeks he was out with that injury. But, yeah, man, Gibbs is that dog, bro. He is. And I have to agree with you, Gibbs is also my MVP on the offense. But having said that, um, I think that Will Anderson's been kind of quiet on defense, not because of his lack of impact on the field. I think, honestly, I think the offenses are play calling to avoid him. So I'm not going to cut, I'm not going to cut him down at all. 
But, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I know we talked about Jalen Moody earlier, him and Toa Toa. Uh, either one man, but I think Jalen Moody's really been emerging. Um, I think locker room MVPs and sometimes field MVPs are different, but I honestly, I don't even know if I could put a specific, if I could put one individual on this on defense, you know how I feel about defense as a collective. Mm-hmm. Um, so, heck, if we get it together, I say the whole defense, you know what I mean? Yeah. I got to go with Jalen Moody, though, just with the way he's been playing, especially the off the field as well. But just the way he's been playing, he's been the most consistent. And honestly, I've kind of got to go tied up there. I got to go Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid is, um, wasn't targeted against Tennessee. Uh, he's only allowed six completions all year, a 60 QBR when he's thrown that way. Uh, dude's electric on special teams. So I got to go Kool-Aid, too. I got to give it Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid's coming into his own. Kool-Aid's going to be an All-American. He's going to be a first-round draft pick for next year. Um so definitely think uh, those are the MVPs for sure. But uh, it's been a good podcast. It's been a, a good week, obviously, uh, a little tough on the loss. But, hey, you know, we bounce back. We still control what we can control. Um, and, uh, you know, sure enough, we just got to go take care of everything from here on out. We got to go 1-0 and each week. We go 1-0 and each week for the next uh, eight games. Well, guess what? We hoist in the trophy in Englewood. So that's all that matters. Keep the – keep the big goal in perspective and uh you know i think we'll be okay but other than that this has been the bama factor with alex taylor and cody saxon catch us next week also as it will come out on thursday on spotify apple iHeartRadio, and amazon podcast as we will uh kind of recap uh this weekend's game against state and then we'll kind of preview what we think we need to go over for the off week and uh we will uh have a lot more for you that week as well so good night god bless everybody Thank you.